0: to the podcast, the Bibliotherapy for Black Women podcast. I am your host, Amaka. I'm sure you've seen with the title of this episode that, um, first of all, it's a bonus episode, so yay. (laughs) Secondly, I have been thinking of sharing a little bit of my writings with you guys um, for a little while. And I'll give you some backstory. So, at the start of the pandemic, when everything was shut down, my program transitioned to Zoom. General sentiments were, you know, on the sadder side, not so happy, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of wondering. I took it upon myself to try and figure out at that time what could elevate my mood a little more every day, what can make me a little happier every day that I could do within the confines of the restrictions that we were living in, it being the height of the pandemic. Around May, June 2020, So I started to read again. And I guess you can say taking that back up at that time, though I did not know it, was one of the seeds that were being planted for the birth of what would ultimately become this podcast. Um, So I started reading again. And also, too, there was one... Assignment we had to do for one of the classes that I had to take called Mental Health Assessment. My professor of the class would always try to kind of make things fun however she could, so um, she assigned us this book called Where the Crawdads Sing, and we had to read it as part of our curriculum. Um, and ultimately, we had to write... Um, I like to call it a reaction, but it was pretty much she had like these discussion prompts and we had to write an essay based on the discussion prompts about the book. So I've read the book, finished it up, I wrote the essay, and I was quite surprised at how much I enjoyed that assignment. I've always loved to write, though I have not always done it consistently. But the love has always been there. And I think reading again and writing again kind of sparked something in me. And I did not stop. I started to write reactions, long-form essays to books that um, I was reading at that time. Because, you know, I'm sure people out there, and some people can relate to Finishing a book and loving it, but having so many thoughts about so many characters. Um, there are still books that I've read in the past that I still think about. And, you know, I decided, you know what? I I wrote about this book, Where the Crawdads Sing, even though it was a graded assignment. But I decided to expand it. Um, so, I started writing about the books that I would finish and, you know, ha- would have thoughts and feelings and questions and be wondering, you know, about the different directions that the story took and the themes and what the characters represented and everything like that. So, I've ultimately decided to start sharing them on the podcast, and nothing is going to change in terms of the content that I typically talk about. But you know, this this still kind of applies when it comes to books. It's just my love for books kind of manifesting in a different way. And being able to incorporate my love of writing in that too. So I remember the first book that I read at the start of the pandemic after finishing that assignment was this book called Girl, Woman, Other by Bernardine Evaristo. And I still think about that book. It's special to me, I think one, because it was the first book that I had read leisurely in a very, very long time. I would venture to say years. Not only was it the first book, it was the first novel that I read in a very long time. And it was a different type of book. The structure of the book was very different. And it took some time to get used to, but it was very enjoyable nonetheless, in my opinion. So I wrote an essay on that book, and I'm going to read that essay on this episode. So saying all that, here is my reaction essay to the novel Girl, Woman, Other by Bernardine Evaristo. I stumbled upon the novel Girl, Woman, Other in the most organic way, not scrolling through Amazon while looking at frequently bought together packages and reading reviews, not by a friend's glowing recommendation. I was walking through the books and movies aisle in a store when the bold title cover and the patchwork quilt of colors caught my attention. I picked it up and judged its weight, turned its back and read its summary, peered down and read about the author. Oh, she's Nigerian, I thought, realizing this piqued my interest. Then I found myself in that space where one is deciding, should I? Shouldn't I? There's always a perceived risk of seeing a book nowadays, blind, not having been vouched for because the praise printed on it can be taken with a grain of salt. But I felt a pull. My gut told me, yes, buy it. And it did not disappoint. I began this book excitedly, then set it down for a time. Evaristo wrote the stories in a style I was unfamiliar with, What would otherwise be paragraphs and new sentences on a page had no periods, few commas, and only capitalized letters in the case of a name or an I or when beginning a new story or chapter. There was an awkward phase of getting accustomed to her rhythm, but soon it felt familiar. I began to read the words with a mental cadence that lent to the impact the novel had on me personally. It was as if written in any other way, it wouldn't have been the same. The first half of the women's stories felt generally separate. Everisto introduces you to each character, their world, and the people living in it. Worlds that feel siloed until you continue on, and with each new story, a new connection is discovered among the women in the novel. It often felt like finding a new clue to the mystery of how the lives of these women intersect. I appreciated what I thought to be Evaristo's intentions with how she wrote the stories, poignantly and explicitly implicit with what she wanted the reader to take away. She drew you into their innermost thoughts and forced you to hold space for multiple truths at once. That, yes, readers might judge winsome for having an affair with Shirley's husband, but winsome, despite older in age, still loved men, and loved sex, I was not to be dismissed as no longer having the desire for passion or pleasure. Bumi, an older Nigerian widow and the mother of Carol, is written to have had a very cultural view of her life and how she wanted Carol to live. Later on, however, she begins an initially platonic relationship with her employee, Omofe, that soon turns sexual. A woman like Bumi traditionally would never be encouraged to seek companionship again, let alone a romantic one, and with a woman, no less. This takes nothing away from who Bumi was as a person. Still, a mother who wasted no time in reminding Carol she was Nigerian and not one of these tardy English girls who wanted her daughter to marry a respectable Nigerian husband in order to give her grandchildren. Personally speaking, one lesson I've learned in the last few years through growth and reflection, is that two truths, no matter how seemingly polarizing or contradictory, can be valid at the same time. Penelope, who we are introduced to later in the novel, saw people of color as small and less than. With her job as an educator, she thought of the school as transforming into a quote, multicultural zoo, and often would give white students milder punishments. Her view of her world and the people in it were colored with a clearly racist lens. She's not to be excused from her beliefs and actions, but in processing her story, I couldn't help but consider that her grip on her belief of superiority and seeing herself as better than is rooted in a need to feel worthiness in any way, even if it means through her whiteness. Learning of her adoption meant reckoning with feeling unwanted or unloved, by the people one expects love from the most. For her to feel rejection as a girl and have it manifest in her adult life through the failures of her relationships, is it unreasonable to think that in her desperate need to feel acceptance, she would welcome it in this form at the risk of harm to others? Was there ever hope for Penelope to change? In the epilogue, Penelope, now in her 80s, discovers through ancestral tracing that she's 13% African and the lost daughter of Hattie, who was forced to give her up at a very early age of the novel. It's not hard to wonder what the trajectory of Penelope's life could have been if this was never the case. Penelope's relationship with oppression, whether she felt afflicted as a woman or perpetrated it as a white person, was one instance of a theme I noticed throughout the novel. Many of the characters were very sensitive to offenses of their lived experiences, but whether intentionally or not, were contributors to the marginalization of other groups through how they perceived others who were different from them. Shirley, who had a heightened awareness of the discrimination of Black students in her school, was found to have a bias against her longtime friend, Ama, who has had many same-sex relationships. The book writes... She once caught Shirley watching Amma kiss a girlfriend at a party. The expression on Shirley's face when she thought she wasn't being observed. The woman is a closet homophobe, although Amma won't have it, says Shirley, wouldn't be her friend if she was. Earlier on in the novel, Everisto's description of Shirley's relationship with Amma, as a lesbian, many can argue, parallels the impressions often held by white people for black people and any privileged group of people towards those less so. They may tolerate them if there are few degrees of separation, family, workspace, extended friend circle, and may even reach the point of liking the ones in their daily interactions. But the overall impressions of the group of people, deep down, is negative and discriminatory. The book continues. Also, Shirley doesn't meet many new people. Her social circles are from university and fellow teachers, whereas Alma makes new friends from the artsy world, practically every day, who also become Shirley's friends of sorts. Mostly gay, and while she doesn't get it or like it, she finds their unconventionality interesting enough to enjoy their company. So long as they're nice to her, and most of them are. They're fascinating, artistic, and radical counterpoint to my more practical and responsible existence, she tells Lennox, who accuses her of being overanalytical. In Carol's story, the theme of anti-Blackness towards Black people in the United Kingdom as a Nigerian is seen as she uses every opportunity to distance herself from her perceived negative impressions of Blackness in British society. Her, quote, ghetto school friends, Cheap hair extensions, wearing her hair straightened instead of in its natural state, dating white men, and eventually marrying one. Evaristo writes, She saw their futures and hers, as baby mothers pushing prams, pushing fatherless time bombs, forever scrambling down the sides of sofas for change to feed the meter, like mum, shopping in poundland, like mum, scrambling around markets at closing time, For scrag ends, like mum, not me, not me, not me, she told herself, I shall fly above and beyond. It is unfortunate that she felt in order to achieve success, she must mute parts of herself to appear more mainstream and acceptable, as evidenced by her morning mantras, quote, I am highly presentable, likable, clubbable, relatable, promotable, and successful, this plight is not unfamiliar to black women in the workplace, whether in Britain or the United States or anywhere in the world. We carry a burden that other groups of people do not. Carol also carries the burden of the rape she endured and not feeling safe to tell anyone in her circle. One can imagine the trauma and lack of control that is felt and goes largely unaddressed and how it affected Carol and other parts of her life such as needing to feel control of her public appearance and perception, as a defense perhaps, and believing such will prevent an incident like that from happening again. Despite this, Carol has moments where she lets herself be, completely. She is described to have moments in her home, listening to fella Kuti and moving her body, dancing freely with no shame or bashfulness. These moments, I believe Carol allowed herself so she would not break from the weight of the expectation she put on herself and that society puts on her. Evaristo makes a point to shed light on the variation in generational experiences the woman had in the novel, which ultimately dictated what issues were most important to them. Racism in the stories of Hattie and Grace are much more overt compared to the next generation of women, like Shirley Carol, Penelope, Alma, Dominique. And while it was still very important, the book implies the focus of this group of women being more in the lane of addressing the role of patriarchy in their lives and how they decided to navigate this reality, whether it was from a place of survival like Carol or from a place of rejection and abolition and advancing the role of feminism like Alma and Dominique in their life's work. We take it a step further with Yaz and Morgan, whose focus is centered on the lived experiences of non binary and gender non conforming folks in advocating on behalf of them and the challenges they face. In the case of Megan, who later changes to Morgan, while on the journey of learning what identity feels right, Evaristo. In her fantastic work of highlighting the layers and complexities of privilege in the LGBTQ community chronicles her introduction and developing relationship with Bibi, a transgender female. They meet online and begin to engage in oftentimes tense conversations about what it means to be transgender and withstanding discrimination and marginalization in an already marginalized group. Simultaneously, B.B. helps Morgan understand better herself as a transgender female while providing support in what must be expected as one with a newly changed identity and seeking its acknowledgement widely. Girl, Woman, Other is unlike any novel I've read in a long time. I'm yet to point towards another author's work where the third-person narration of the novel serves as a character of its own. Doing well to invoke in the reader such strong feelings about the lives of the women in this novel. Letitia comes to mind in this regard, a black woman with a less than perfect relationship with her father, and because of this, makes decisions with different men over time that determine the direction of her life. With no acknowledgement or resolution to the pain and chaos that her father caused, he returns home after years like nothing has transpired. Letitia's story, for me, was the saddest to read. With the sadness, I felt anger at the reality of Letitia and her family receiving no apology or admission of the pain they endured in his absence. The book continues. Then, Daddy turned up unannounced a few weeks ago. Letitia came home to find him sitting on his old armchair in the living room, As if he'd never left it. He was just as huge, his dreadlocks were more gray than black, and he had a big stomach. He looked at her admiringly, lovingly, when she walked into the room. It didn't work out with Marva. He missed his real family. Mom didn't look like she was going to kick him out anytime soon. It was as if her love for him was flowing back in uncontrollable waves. Jason and Jantel sat there, perched on the edge of the sofa, unaware of what to make of this giant who was their grandfather. Jordan had already decided, edged towards his grandfather, who reached out and put an arm around him when he was close enough to be cuddled. Jordan beamed up at his grandfather with such an angelic look on his face. She realized her youngest son needed her father in his life. I was emotional about how her story ended, but was reminded that such does happen in real life. This was my most poignant takeaway. Whether the stories make the reader feel affirmed or antagonized, they force the expansion and questioning of the dogma we may live by or subscribe to. Life can feel unfair at one moment and redemptive the next. What's important is remembering that the stories of the women in this novel Unfamiliar or not, relatable or not, are worth telling as they are. As always, I want to thank you guys for listening. I hope you enjoyed my essay on Girl, Woman, Other, a novel by Bernardina Baristo. If there's anyone you think who may enjoy this episode or previous episodes, please share, please recommend. If this podcast or any episode has impacted you in a positive way, Feel free to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Please follow and subscribe on all platforms. And again, thank you guys so much for listening. And I'll talk to you guys soon. Be well. Bye.